0: What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin. I hope everybody is doing well mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I thank all of you for choosing to spend some time here with me today. We got a loaded show for y'all this week. NFL Conference Championship games have been decided. Unfortunately, I don't really want to talk about that because my Giants got absolutely fucking ran through this weekend, which was. It was hard to watch. We also have our first sizable trade of the NBA's trade season with Rui Hachimura getting traded to the Los Angeles Lakers of all teams. Uh, The Warriors are down bad. The Lakers actually look decent somehow, largely, of course, because of the efforts of LeBron James. And I say decent because they're only one game back of the play-in, which, I mean, would probably be which is probably where they were supposed to have been this year but you combine you know Anthony Davis's injury with the roster not really being constructed properly like them even making the play in was a long shot. The Oklahoma City Thunder look good as well. They are actually tied with the Golden State Warriors for the 10th seed in the Western Conference, but Golden State owns the tiebreaker I believe. So OKC is the 11th seed, Golden State is the 10th seed. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets have been managing decently well with the absence of Kevin Durant. They started off on a four-game losing streak, but then have come back to win two of their last games, largely fueled by the performances of Kyrie Irving and Nick Claxton. Kyrie, I think, has 116 points in his last three games. He has just been absolutely on a mission to um, to just you know keep this team... Floating above water. And there is something that I want to touch on a little bit later on in the show, but I don't know where it came from. But Zoomers fucking despise Jalen Green. I don't know what sparked all of this, but I've been, I've seen more than one TikTok talking about how Jalen Green is mid. Um, he's going to be a Guangdong shark very soon. Jalen going to be bilingual green. Jalen better download Duolingo and start learning Mandarin green because he's going to be in China after this year. And I just like, I, for the life of me, cannot understand where they're coming from with all this. But before we get into all that, we're going to go ahead. We're going to talk about the trade that uh, it is officially kicking off the NBA's trade season. I would say I'm going to let our big, beautiful reporter, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski, talk us through this
1: one. Malika, there were discussions as late as last night uh, that included bigger...
0: That's perfect. Okay. Can't go full screen on that. Alright, I guess we're not going to hear Woj talk about it because uh, my Wi-Fi is Walmart-Fi.
1: ...trade to come together. Hey, Malika. There were discussions as late as last night uh, that included bigger trades than just a two-way deal with LA. I was told uh, that there were some three-way talks that would have involved Phoenix, uh, but those larger trade discussions fell by the wayside, and then L.A. and Washington this morning uh, zeroed in on the deal that they ultimately landed on Rui Hachimura uh, for Kendrick Nunn and those three second-round picks, a 2023 pick that L.A. has via Chicago and the Lakers' own 2029 pick. And this was a player, Hachimura, who had wanted to be moved, did not reach a contract extension uh, on his rookie, rookie extension this summer and uh, into the fall with Washington, and wanted to be finishing games that wasn't happening. And Kyle Kuzma certainly. Uh, oh, I'm just
0: gonna end this while Woj talks about like the, I guess the context of everything that led to the deal. Uh, simply for no other fact than I don't want to get clapped up with a copyright strike. Copyright strike in case this goes. On YouTube, Um, I don't really know how ESPN handles copyright. I don't really know how they deal with fair use and all that. But Hachimura said, "quote I just want to be somewhere that wants me as a basketball player, and I want to be somewhere that likes my game. I just want to be somewhere that believes in me, and I can be myself. That's the goal." the The Lakers acquired Hachimura with the intention of signing him to an extension. Hachimura is going to be a restricted free agent. The Lakers believe Hachimura gives them another sizable wing defender who has shown an ability to make corner threes and mid range shots when teams run the Lakers off the three-point line. He shot 40.8% on catch-and-shoot threes over the last two seasons and is shooting 35% on catch-and-shoot threes over the course of his career. Quote, adding both size and depth to the wing position has been a goal and the chance to accomplish accomplish that by acquiring a player with Rui's two-way skills and upside was an opportunity that doesn't present itself often. Hachimura hasn't really been all that great. I I don't want to say that he hasn't been great. Um, he has kind of underperformed as a lottery pick. He's averaging 13 points and four rebounds this season, largely because his role is so up in the air, especially playing behind Kyle Kuzma, playing behind Chris Stapps He's only averaging 24 points per, 24 minutes per game this year, which is not really that much, especially when you consider that he was taken with the ninth overall pick. Like, you should be seeing 30, 32 minutes per game. But I think that this speaks to something that the Wizards have struggled with over the last couple of years. And it's the fact that they just are the most mid basketball team of all time. They are the epitome of too good to tank, but not good enough to contend. This is them. And it's been this way for the last couple of years. You look at. Last season, they finished 35 and 47. You look at the year before that, they finished 34 and 38. You look at 2018 19, 32 and 50. They had a couple of decent years where they qualified for the playoffs, but that was back when John Wall was a member of the team, when he was playing at an all star caliber level. When Bradley Beal, I mean, he's still a member of the team, but it was back when Bradley Beal and John Wall were one of the better duos in the Eastern Conference. So the first thing that I have to Take exception with is that the fact that the Wizards have no plan, the front office has no plan, ownership has no plan. And I say this as someone who is weirdly plugged in to Wizards Twitter. The fans of the Washington Wizards absolutely fucking despise ownership, they despise um, the front office for. For reasons like this, because they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a philosophy. They don't have a plan. And despite the fact that they brought in a new coach, Wes Unseld, Wes Unseld Jr., who's doing a fine job as a young head coach, he is not really dealing with the most optimal situation. Because if you look at this Wizards roster, they are a little bit on the older side. They're leading guys in terms of minutes per game are Kyle Kuzma, who's 27, Bradley Beal, who's 29, KP, who's 27, Monte Morris, who is also 27. There's nothing wrong with having veterans on your roster. There's nothing wrong with having players in the middle of their careers on your roster. But when your best three players are Kyle Kuzma, Bradley Beal, and Kristaps Porzingis, you are not going to be doing anything noteworthy, let alone even like sniffing the second round of the postseason in a in a in an Eastern Conference that looks like this currently. They are outside of the play They are 20 and 26. They are six games under five hundred. the 12th best team in the Eastern Conference. And it's simply because they've put all of their chips into these guys who are just not built to win a championship. I think that Bradley Beal is an exceptional player. I do think that he is best utilized as the number two on a championship team. He's a guy who could have went to Brooklyn to play alongside Kevin Durant. That's his optimal role, to go to the Lakers and play alongside uh, LeBron James be his number two to go to the Clippers and play alongside Kawhi Leonard like that is the kind of role in which Bradley Beal would experience the most success. Kyle Kuzma, as incredible as his growth has been with the Wizards, is really not you know a sustainable second option. Kristaps Porzingis is not a sustainable option as well. And what's even weirder is when you get into the whole the whole Kyle Kuzma thing. So the Wizards trade for this dude okay? um, They traded for him in that five-teamer. I have it on screen right here for anyone who's watching. As a part of that five-teamer uh, where basically the Wizards, I mean, the Lakers did everything to acquire Russell Westbrook. So he was brought over in that trade. Now, the Wizards have no, or seemingly have no intentions of retaining Kyle Kuzma long-term because they have not yet come to terms on an extension. And I don't foresee him returning to Washington. So you give up whatever, you know, whatever pieces you'd parted with in this trade. I think it was they got rid of KCP, they got rid of Montrez Harrell. No. Um Brooklyn, where is it? The Wizards traded a handful of picks to the Nets. The Wizards then traded Russell Westbrook. The Wizards also traded Chandler Hutchison. So they traded a bunch of guys who didn't want to be Russell Westbrook wanted to contend for a championship. Chandler Hutchinson wasn't really a noteworthy player anyway, and they traded a bunch of picks for Kyle Kuzma. Now, you give up all of this cachet, and to not want to retain him is fucking just super bizarro to me, because he's a good talent. He's a decent talent. He's come a lot since when he was with the Lakers, and the Wizards are just like, nah, nah. I don't really fuck with that. Very much like how they're not really fucking with Rui Hachimura for any for some reason anymore. Um yeah, they just basically have built this team, this mid team, this like this is the definition of mid in regards to NBA teams and they've built it around Bradley Beal, but they haven't really even like tried to do anything noteworthy. They haven't tried to get Bradley Beal any additional Stars to maybe turn this team into something. And it's doubly strange that they would elect to do a move like this because they also have a decent helping of young talent. Corey Kispert, Denny Avdia, Rui Hachimura, and Daniel Gafford all have the makings of being a core that you can go forward with into the future. I think that Hachimura brings a lot of potential to the Lakers. He's averaging like 19-8 and per 36. I believe uh, Daniel Gafford, I love I love him. If the Wizards are looking to offload talented young players for second rounders, the Brooklyn Nets have a second rounder in 2025 that they could send to the Wizards for Daniel Gafford. I think that that is definitely a trade that they would consider, especially if you throw in someone like um, Morris or if you throw in like Edmund Sumner or someone, an end-of-the-bench guy who isn't really contributing much to the team. Right now, Maybe that's something they do. But these four guys right here are a core that the Wizards could look to build with. Corey Kispert, very good three-point shooter. Rui Hachimura, also a very good three-point shooter. Someone who could maybe turn into some level of shot creator later on. Daniel Gafford is an elite presence in the paint. And Denny Avdia is, I'm going to be honest, I don't really know too much about Denny Avdia. But, you know, who... Who's to say that he doesn't turn into a multifaceted a multifaceted wing? I mean, per 36, 11 points, eight boards, three and a half assists, uh, one steal. Like, he could turn into something. Do I think that this is like the best core to have in the NBA? Certainly not. But the fact that Washington is prioritizing these older guys over these first, second, third year players is super bizarre to me. And you know, they have Bradley Beal locked in long term, so he's not going anywhere. I think he's, i honestly, he may say that he's fine with not winning a championship, or that he wants to win a championship in Washington. I think that, you know, he recognizes that he can make as much money as possible now, you know, when he's still in his prime, and then a little bit later, as maybe like a 32 or 33 year old, go to a younger team, be that veteran presence in the locker room. Be the floor spacer. Be like a. Be someone like Carmelo Anthony later in his career, an older guy who wanted to do right by the team that did right by him. It never panned out. And then he went on in this later part of his life and contributed um, meaningful basketball to a contending team. But. The point still remains. I don't understand why Washington would do this. Like, it makes sense from the Lakers' perspective, right? Kendrick Nunn, eh, you have a lot of guards on that team already. You're thin at forward. You need playmaking options in the front court. Rui Hachimura does bring some of that to the Lakers. He can play off of LeBron James. He's not so ball dominant. He can play a lot of minutes when Anthony Davis isn't there. He can play minimal minutes when Anthony Davis is there. He's. An upgrade over someone like Troy Brown Jr., for example, or if they want to play small and play Hachimura over Thomas Bryant or something, that's also an option. But Hachimura is a productive player whom I don't think greatly alters the Lakers' future um, projections, at least in the short term. But you know, it may he may make them more palatable. To watch, he may even help them become like a 500 team or like a team that finishes 44-38, and 38, which would be very impressive. And I think if that were to happen, we would be seeing way more of LeBron in the MVP discourse. But I think the Lakers are also, you know, looking long-term with Hachimura. So, yeah, I just... I don't understand what the Wizards are doing, man. They are just... I, I think they're content with being mid. The way this front office functions reminds me a lot of that Spongebob episode when the Krusty Krab becomes a fine dining restaurant and Spongebob basically has to relearn everything that he had learned in order to become like this, you know, in order to become someone who would work in fine dining. And like, all he remembers is Fork on the Left and Beef Wellington. And then it cuts to all the little Spongebobs in his brain and they're like, Spongebob, just just tell him your name. Just tell him your name, and they're like, we forgot his name! This is what I imagine is going on in the Wizards front office, is just total disarray, the complete abandonment of the common sense thing to do, which is prioritize young talent when you're a bad team. Like, that is, that's the only way to run a bad organization is to prioritize young talent, and they are simply not doing that. So, I guess before we get too far removed from the intro, I do have to touch on this weekend's NFL. Action. Um, I watched that miserable performance from the New York Football Giants on Saturday, and my oh my, it was a fucking depressing-ass game. The New York Giants, who I fully recognize should not have even been in a position to face the Eagles in the playoffs, got absolutely smoked. They got smoked like an Italian meat, just like a good old-ass beating, 38-7. Jalen Hurts, Miles Sanders running all over this fucking defense. Devontae Smith popping off for big catches every now and then. Like, it was just super, super... I don't even know, like, what the weirdest part was because I didn't expect this to be a competitive game at all. I think what what shocked me the most was not the Giants' inability to move the ball against the Eagles' defense because they have an elite defense, but it was how porous the Giants defense was I don't have the numbers in front of me but it felt like the Eagles average yard per play was was eight like anytime Miles Sanders touched the ball there was a massive hole where he just burst through the front seven and was getting tackled for a seven eight nine yard gain. I mean Jalen Hurts was doing also whatever the fuck he wanted like that guy is just an absolute demon Um, by far the least surprising outcome of this weekend but I am I do have to say man as you know as pessimistic as I have been when talking about the Giants this season, you know, they overachieved. They should not have been this good. They should, I thought that at best they were going to be like 7-10 and 10 around there, give or take the fact that they were 9-7-1 and one while playing in the most difficult division in football is absolutely incredible. The growth showcased from Daniel Jones is, it has to be noted league-wide that Brian Dable is him. Ryan Dable is him. That guy is a winner. That guy is a quarterback whisperer. To take a guy like Danny Dick and to and to make him the one of the more one of the smarter quarterbacks in the NFL. The guy who, you know, drastically cut down on his turnovers from the same dude who fumbled whenever there was pressure in the pocket, not even being hit, is an incredible Job. And also given the fact that the Giants were exceptionally thin on the perimeter. Of course, Saquon Barkley is also him, just undeniably one of the better running backs in football. Um, I will say though, the one game that took me most by surprise was it's gotta be Cincinnati, Buffalo. Um, 27 to 10, an absolutely brutal, an absolutely brutal showing from the Buffalo Bills at home in the snow so bad that Stefan Diggs left the left the arena before the coaches were back to address the locker room just an absolutely embarrassing performance from Buffalo. I'm not sure if folks expected the ass whooping to be that big of an ass whooping, but you know, you would be it would be a disservice to Cincinnati to say that they didn't have a chance to beat Buffalo because they absolutely did. They are an incredible team. Joe Burrow was great. They have a good enough defense. Um Jamar Chase, Joe Mixon, very solid team from top to bottom offensively. Um I think people were a little reluctant because of, you know, Joe Burrow having those issues in the beginning of the season and wondering, like, was he actually in rhythm? But I think it's clear that Joe Burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in football. I think it is safe to say that Joe Burrow is a top-five quarterback in football. I mean, two straight AFC championship game appearances. This guy throws for 4,000 yards, whatever it was, 34 touchdowns. Like, he is in, I think that he is in the Mahomes Allen tier. I really do. I think Joe Burrow is an incredible talent and him going up against the Chiefs again is going to be an incredible game. I cannot wait to watch that. Um Yeah, uh just oh, just a remarkable showing from Cincinnati to go into Buffalo in the snow and to manhandle them like that is Incredible. But I guess like if you can tolerate not only playing in Ohio, but living in Ohio, there is no home court advantage or home field advantage that is too much for you to overcome. Uh, the Cowboys got fucking absolutely <laughs> dumpstered on the final play of their game to the of the final play of their game in which they lost to the San Francisco 49ers. Just an ugly game from top to bottom. Um, I'm fucking ec- ecstatic they lost, so that way I don't have to hear my fiance fucking rubbing in my face about the Cowboys being better better than the Giants. But like the Cowboys should have beaten the 49ers, or they had it they would have had they had a chance to beat the 49ers. And that fucking play where I I don't even like I, I forgot who said obviously it wasn't the right call. Yeah, dog, no shit it wasn't the right call to have like two linemen blocking Dak Prescott on the final play of the game where you need a touchdown to tie it. Like, what is, what's going on? What's going on? But Glock Purdy is, man, this kid is something else. Like, I don't know where he came from. Everybody was shitting on him, you know, when he was going to college. Um, and here he is. He's taking the San Francisco 49ers to another conference championship game. Incredible. I understand that, you know, he's being carried by Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey, who is now white or who is now going by white Debo Samuel. I mean, that defense is obviously one of the one of, if not the best defense in football. But in the playoffs, like you still need a quarterback who can sling the rock and block block Purdy and Glock Purdy is absolutely doing that. I think he's second most in passing yards for the postseason, which is, you know, incredible uh, right behind. Josh Allen so yeah the these conference championship games like it is arguably the four best teams in football I still think that it's gonna be Philly and Kansas City in the Super Bowl with Philly taking it but I am very excited to see these matchups in particular another free match between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes that will again decide which one of these elite young quarterbacks goes to the Super Bowl and ultimately which one of those young quarterbacks loses to Jalen Hurts. And I hope I'm not, I'm, I'm knocking on wood here. I hope I'm not jinxing the Philadelphia 70 Eagles. It's not that I want them to win. I actually would love for them not to, just being a Giants fan, the divisional rivalry and all that. But they are, I think they're the best team in football. They have, I think they're the best team in football. Maybe not the most complete team, in football, that would be San Francisco, but you know, I think in that game we are going to see the difference between having Brock Purdy and having Jalen Hurts, having a good young quarterback, and then having you know maybe the NFL MVP at quarterback. So now that that's over with, um, some in an, an interesting development that has been going on is this, and I already mentioned this in the beginning. Are Zoomers? shitting on Jalen Green. Now, Jalen Green, of course, is the second-year player for the Houston Rockets, who is already in not the most advantageous situation. So, the Rockets recently just broke their 13-game losing streak. They are undeniably the most embarrassing franchise in the NBA. Um, John Wall ripped the Rockets recently. More specifically, it was Green and Porter Jr., something along the lines of, like, the shit that you're getting away with here is not shit that you would get away with in any other organization. There's also that viral clip of a reporter asking Eric Gordon about the improvement that he's seen from this team over the course of the year, and he says there has been no improvement. They are all in on Victor Wembanyama. Um, They are basically just putting Jalen Green, Alperin Shengun, and Kevin Porter Jr. out there with whatever other bodies they have, and are basically telling them to just play like you're at the wreck. Run up and down, take as many shots as you want. We're not going to really run an offense. We're not going to play defense. I mean, just play hard, have fun. Like they really do, they really do play like it's a summer league game all the time. It really is the epitome of no thoughts, just vibes on the basketball court. And I think a lot of that has, you know, soured people on the prospect of Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts, of Jalen Green ever being a good player, which I think is super reactionary and, you know, 100% is learned behavior. Zoomers have learned this behavior from their parents or from like watching the same shows as their parents, just hearing casuals talk about sports, hearing folks like Stephen A and Skip Bayless talk about young players and just really the defeatist mindset that a lot of sports media personalities have when it comes with young players not panning out, talent-wise. But what's different about this, what's different about Jalen Green is that there is no reason to be this hypercritical of him. There is no reason to be hyperfixating on every flaw in his game. There is no reason to be even thinking that he will be out of the league within the next two years and over in China by the time he's 25 because he is showing flashes of being a good young player. He's averaging 22 points a night, four rebounds, and three and a half assists. Those are decent numbers for a 20-year-old, mind you. Now, of course, a lot of these younger basketball fans have, I think, a warped perception of what a 20-year-old basketball player actually looks like because 20-year-olds nowadays come in and they look like Zion. They look like Trey Young. They look like Luka Doncic. Like, they look like generational talents straight away. Which, of course, is bound to happen every now and then. But never before have you had multiple generational talents come into the league around the same time as one another. Which, again, speaks to a video that I made last week about, like, how the NBA has become so flush with talent. And you're comparing Jalen Green to guys like Zion and Luka and Trey Young which I think is wrong because Jalen Green is a great player or is a good player I think he's got the potential to be a great player but not a superstar not even a star player I don't think um but who knows so there is this warped perception of him where he's just mid I mean he can't dribble he can't shoot he can't play defense and like okay he can't shoot I'll give you that but Also, can't play defense. I'll give you that. Like, of course, he does have flaws in his game. I'm not trying to make it look like I'm just dick riding for the sake of dick riding because he does have flaws. And it's, yes, it's good to be, you know, critical yet optimistic when it comes to young talent. But again, it is like the super, the hyper reactionary approach that a lot of people take when assessing these young talents. Like, You can look at his numbers and say that he's mid, but then you pull out one of those stats. This is going to be one of those player averages X, 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 X years at X years of age and is in a group with these guys. So if Jalen Green were to bump up his assists per game to four, which is only half an assist per game, he would be. I think like the eighth 20 year old to average 20 points, four rebounds and four assists joining guys like Luca, Trey, LeBron, Magic. Obi, Devin Booker, Isaiah Thomas, and Michael Jordan, which is an exclusive club to be in. And it, there really shouldn't be any excuse to think that there will be a tremendous drop-off in his production. God forbid like he gets hurt or something like that. So some of the good things that Jalen Green has done this year is that his usage rate has skyrocketed. He's now up to 28% in his second year which is up nearly five percentage points from what it was as a rookie. It was around 23. So now the big thing that has happened with Jalen Green, um, and I think that everyone notices, is that his turnovers are up and his free throws per game are up. Like his free throw attempts have almost doubled, which is kind of crazy. But his turnovers per game have increased by one whole turnover per game. Yet his turnover percentage has only increased by one percentage point. It's around 12.5 at the time of this recording. His assist percentage is up about 4 percentage points to 17. So there is improvement being made there. Now, one thing that all you young folk have to consider is the fact that he is playing on the Cleveland Browns of the NBA right now. The Houston Rockets right now are, I would reckon, worse Than the Sacramento Kings. Now, that is a bold assertion. And I understand this. Now, the Kings have a systemic history of ineptitude. But they always had decent players. And they always had like relatively... They at least seemed like they had a clue. Or they had a clear vision, I should say. And it was just the execution that missed. I don't see anything beyond... Victor Wembanyama. when I gaze into the Houston Rockets. Like, I see nothing going on. They're like, we just got to get through this season and see where we land in the lottery. That is a tremendous issue for these young players. And it's not because of their, it's not their fault. Alperin Shangoon did not ask to be a member of the Houston Rockets. Jalen Green did not ask to be drafted by the Houston Rockets. We could very well see that what's going to happen is The Rockets are going to land either Wembon or Scoot Henderson. And they get one of these two elite prospects. And then Jalen Green leaves. I do not foresee a future in which they keep um, Jalen Green. Especially if they get Scoot Henderson. I do not foresee it. Now, Jalen Green would leave and go to a better organization. And I think that his career would see a massive revival. Just because of how... Just because of how much mentorship and player development is to all of these young players, all of these young players need voices in the locker room to help guide them. I don't care how talented they are. If they go to a bad organization, they are not going to reach their full potential. And I think this is where we are at with Jalen Green. And I think this kind of gets, you know, I think this kind of gets swept under the rug, or maybe not swept under under the rug. I think it just gets overlooked because a lot of these posts that I see about Jalen Green, I get it, is on TikTok. It's for content. It's you know, it's people making jokes. But like, I do think that there is some subs some some percentage of people that you know make these kinds of TikToks that truly believe that Jalen Green is a fraud and that he's already washed at 20 years old, which is just a fucking insane thought to have it is an absolutely preposterous thought to think that this kid he's literally a kid is washed and again he's not playing to his full potential right now he's shooting like 41 percent from the field which all things considered is not too bad I mean he could be around like 37 or 38 like we've seen guys just absolutely not be able to fucking hit anything he did also just have a 42 point bomb a couple days ago to help to help the rockets snap their skids so to just act like there is no redeeming qualities about this kid is is disingenuous and I think that if you I think that if you value your integrity as like a content creator or someone who you know talks about sports I think that it's not a good look for you to just be to just be a hater to just be an outright Hater, like in in my opinion, that's clown shit. Like if you're if you're just hating for the sake of hating, I don't fuck with you. I think your content is definitely gonna be mid because you don't bring anything to the table. You don't bring anything insightful. You don't you know you're not really you don't bring anything insightful. You don't bring any good analysis. Some a lot of the times these hate like these hater ass people like Skip Bayless for example, they don't even bring like unique critiques to the argument. They just they just be on the same old bullshit of. Oh, this guy can't do this. He can't do that. He's washed like this, that whatever. It's just it's just tired. So I mean, obviously there is a lot of growth for Jalen Green, but until Houston figures this shit out, he is not growing at all. Like if Jalen Green were to remain in Houston, this would be the guy that they get unless they do some serious systemic change. But also, this guy, this kid, is really even not that bad of a player because his two biggest, or to me, his biggest issue is Shot making and shot creation, maybe not shot creation, but like decision making on the offensive end, which is the hardest thing for any young player to get a grip on because it requires game experience. It requires film study. It requires a lot of mental energy. And it takes a a year, two, three years to build that. Not everybody comes in and is like Nikola Jokic. Like we've been spoiled over the years with guys like Jokic and Luka where they just come in and they know how to play but even look at someone like Jason Tatum or Kawhi Leonard who well Kawhi Leonard has been an improved playmaker for a few years now but Jason Tatum only recently has become an improved playmaker and Tatum is an MVP candidate so it's going to come down to prioritization it's going to come down to Houston like not fucking up this this young core but I don't, I I don't know. I. The, the one thing that I do fear is that maybe these habits, these bad habits that Houston is letting form just becomes, um, I think that it just becomes so difficult for these guys to break out of them that they kind of just like fuck themselves and they become disgruntled with the organization, which could very well be the case. Like I know Jalen Green is young, but you know, it's going to come a point where he's like, okay, I have to go somewhere else have to reach my full potential as a basketball player and I'm going to do that on my terms or you guys are going to do that so we'll see Um, but yeah ultimately I think that just like the hate is a little overblown I mean like guys we're talking about (laughs) sending someone to fucking China I mean Oh, yeah. One thing I forgot to mention is that this is nothing new, by the way. I mean, guys like Stephen A and Skip and all the prominent guys, all of the like legacy media institutions in sports media have had discussions like this. They're super reactionary. It's just that instead of saying that someone would go to China, they just say that that person is washed. So it's it's the same thing. It's all learned behavior. But like ultimately, at the end of the day, it's content. It's not that deep. Um I just think that it's not really, you know, it's not really a, an insightful conversation to uh, to have. So, uh, speaking of hating, I'm going to turn into a hater right now. The Golden State Warriors are fucked. I'm sorry if you're a Warriors fan listening to this. This Warriors team, this current iteration of the Golden State Warriors is fucked. And I think I've made a video on them before, um, but this was earlier in the year. Um, I think it was around November, December, when, you know, they were still waiting for guys to come back from injury. I think Dante DiVincenzo was still out, and, you know, they were just trying to, the Warriors, much like every other team, were just trying to get into a rhythm, you know, trying to work off that championship hangover, and unfortunately, they have never found that rhythm, even with Steph Curry playing at this level, even with him averaging 30 a night, they are still a forgettable team in the Western Conference. It really is a it really is a spectacular fall from grace to go from winning the championship to potentially not even making the playoffs. Now, I don't know how many teams in the history of the league have done that. That is certainly a statistic that will pop up should Golden State, you know, be eliminated from playoff contention, but 4 and 6 in their last 10. Okay. 24 and 20, 23 and 24 overall, they are currently 10th in the Western Conference. Six of four of these six losses have been games that they arguably should have won. They lost to Orlando. They lost to Detroit. Two of the worst teams and two of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. I don't believe they're the worst, although I think Detroit is okay, yeah, Detroit stinks, should not have lost to Detroit. Orlando is a decent squad, but Golden State should have beat them. They also lost to Boston and Brooklyn. Now, these two losses aren't as embarrassing because Boston is a championship contender. Brooklyn, despite them not having Kevin Durant, is still a a championship contender, and he might be coming back sooner than we expected. But Golden State had leads in both of these games and lost. I think they blew an eight-point lead in overtime against Boston, and they got absolutely crushed in the second half by Kyrie Irving, who finished with 38 that night. Now, a hallmark of this Warriors team has been their fucking dog shit dookie butter defense, which is not something that we are accustomed to seeing from a team that for six years or so was one of the most suffocating defenses the NBA has ever seen. I mean, anchored by Draymond Green, who was arguably the best defender of his generation. Lay Thompson, pre-Achilles, all defensive caliber caliber, caliber guy. Steph Curry has improved drastically defensively. Over the years, back when they had Kevin Durant, Andre Iguodala, Cavon Looney, I can go on and on about how great Golden State's defense was. But this is not that team. They are twenty. What are they? Twenty seventh in volume in scoring volume allowed. Twenty seventh and eighteenth in efficiency. That efficiency number is of course tainted by the fact that they are the number one. Um, they have the best pace of any team in the NBA. So naturally, the more possessions you have, the the more points they're going to put up. But still, being 18th in defensive efficiency is not is is not good. You're mid. You're you're worse than mid. You're just a bad defense. They foul a lot. I didn't realize that Golden State allows more free throws per game than any other team. More than the Thunder, who are a younger team, a more undisciplined team. Like this is just like their defense is so out of character. It's almost shocking. They've allowed more than 120 points on numerous occasions this year. I think to begin the year, they allowed like, what was it? 125 points six times in like their first 15 games or something. I saw this wild stat from November and I'm like, that's just not, that is not sustainable. Um, They can't guard the three. Overall, they do guard twos better than Um, they are on the perimeter, but of course you got Kavan Looney and Draymond Green in there. It's it is bound to happen. But still they kind of offset that by fouling so frequently. And I also think they're like fourth in um opponents um what are they? I think they're like fourth in effective field goal percentage allowed. I am gonna I do wanna double check this just because I do not wanna be I do not want to be spreading misinformation. On the timeline. Um, okay. No, I was looking at. Oh, okay. So they're at 54% effective field goal. Percentage. Which is. All right. Not that bad. 17th overall. Um, Again, boosted by them being a decent team on the interior. Now, the the cause for concern that I had for Golden State going into this season was their depth. You know, no Otto Porter, no Gary Payton the second anymore. Is he the second? Yeah, no Gary Payton anymore. Dante DiVincenzo was hurt. Um, We didn't know what, of course, we still don't, like, there was just a lot of uncertainty when it came to the rotation. And sure enough, depth was an issue early on, although it has gotten better. And the Warriors have actually found a decent crop of young players to whom they can give minutes. Of course, I'm talking about Jonathan Kaminga. Anthony Lamb has been a sizable part of their rotation. He's been playing fantastically. Ty Jerome has been playing fantastically as well. Of course, Jordan Poole is basically an institution at this point. He is, I would reckon, their second best player. Um, or like undeniably their second best option on offense. I think that, you know, their second best player is gonna be decided on what you value more pool scoring or Draymond's playmaking and defense, but yeah, I mean, they have decent guys in the rotation. Like They are legitimately 11 people deep if you account for Jamichael Green, um, if you account for Moses Moody as well, who's been seeing a decent chunk of minutes, but all of these guys, or at least these guys off the bench, I'm talking Lamb, Kaminga, Ty Jerome, they don't defend. They cannot defend at the same level as the team before them. And that is ultimately what is shooting the Warriors in the foot is their personnel. So when you had Otto Porter and when you had Gary Payton, you had elite perimeter defenders. You also had Draymond Green. You also had Kavon Looney. Now, you had options on defense. You could play man. You could play zone. You could play drop coverage. You could choose to defend pick and rolls differently. You had options. You could box in one if you wanted to. You had enough athleticism to press if you just wanted to throw a new look at a defense. Now, this is important because defense is, of course, a vital component of every championship team. Um, You need to be able to defend regardless of how explosive the offenses are nowadays. You have to, yes still be able to put Points up, but not every game is gonna be 120 to 118, especially in a seven game series. You're gonna get a game that's that's ninety-two to eighty-five. You're gonna get a game that's ninety-seven to ninety. You're gonna have these grind fests, and your ability to throw different looks out defensively is going to it's has a direct correlation to how effective your defense is. And Golden State simply does not have that. They have no versatility on defense, they can't disguise looks as effectively as as they used to they can't try to bamboozle the offense um like they used to and when you're dealing with teams like Phoenix like Boston like Denver like Brooklyn like Dallas like these elite like literally some of the most talented players the NBA has ever seen if you're incapable of disrupting them they're going to pop off. And the Warriors have a better understanding of this than anybody else because they have the most revolutionary offensive talent who has ever touched a basketball. Like, teams game plan not to stop Steph Curry from scoring 30 because it's almost futile, but they game plan to throw different different looks out at him and, like, throw bizarre looks out at him. Before Steph Curry, teams were not trapping at half court or at least not trapping as frequently at half court as they had been because there had never been a guy who could make a 35 foot three off the dribble right teams were not blitzing the pick and roll near half court like those are the things that defenses have to do to disrupt these great offensive talents and the Warriors cannot do that their starting lineup can't do that certainly because you have Wiggs, you have Wiggs, you have Thompson you have Draymond you have Looney but how do you manage that with the second with the second stringers? Ty Jerome is not an elite defender. Kevon Looney is not an elite defender. I know that individual defensive rating is is a fucking atrocious metric for tracking defense, but I think that I think that it really I think it summarizes how collectively bad this Warriors defense is. And this is courtesy of Basketball Reference. Here I'm going to switch so that you guys know I'm not capping nobody has an individual defensive rating lower than 110. Okay, let's look at another flawed metric. And I understand, again, you know, these are fucking super flawed metrics. Defensive box plus minus, Draymond Green and Dante DiVincenzo and Kevon Looney are the three most impactful defenders that the Warriors have. They all have defensive box plus minuses above zero. And if you're above zero, you're above average rel- you're above average relative to an average. Yeah, you are above average. Oh, you are <laughs> above average relative to the average. So if you're above zero, you're good. If you're below zero, you're bad. 2.4 is a good defensive box plus minus. 1.5 is good. 1.3 is good. Every other sizable player is either slightly above one or below. So regardless of how flawed these defensive metrics are, the Warriors are just a bad defensive team that I don't think is fixable unless they make a trade at the deadline. Like, I've given you defensive rating. I've given you field goal percentages. I've given you effective field goal percentages. I've given you volume. I've given you efficiency. I've given you individual player metrics. Like, there is not one person who can look at this Warriors defense and be like, yeah, no, they're good. It's like, because they're just fucking not. They're not even with all of the context of previous seasons, like a casual would think that it's the Warriors and, you know, they're good, but like they'd probably be flabbergasted to know that Golden State is arguably the worst defense in the league from top to bottom. And it's because of personnel. Again, when you don't have adequate personnel, you can't run an intriguing scheme. And if you can't run an intriguing scheme with a myriad of looks to throw your opponents, you're going to get fucking cooked. And that's what's going on with the Warriors, so I think the Warriors are cooked in the short term, but I will not underestimate this front office's ability to you know potentially turn to potentially turn this thing around. I don't know if they'll be able to do it this year. I think that would be a a tremendous ask for them, especially we're only a month out from the deadline, and you know there haven't really been any rumblings of anything. Um I know that Serge Ibaka has been mentioned for um you know, teams are monitoring his his situation. Um I'm going to try to find that report right now. But I know I think it said the Hawks were monitoring him. Oh, here we go. Uh no. The Hawks, the Nets, the Wizards, um maybe Maybe the Warriors. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Serge Ibaka is the. Well, I know for a fact he's not the same. The same Serge Ibaka that he was many years ago. I think he's probably kind of washed. Um, yeah, I haven't really been keeping tabs on him with Milwaukee. He's only appeared in 16 games. He's averaging 11 minutes per game. Um, yeah, per 36 minutes, averaging a block and a half per game averaging 8.6 rebounds like you also can't really go too much off of these numbers because a lot of these minutes are not quality minutes I I would if I had to guess if I had to guess Sergi Ibaka is playing a lot of garbage time so it would be an intriguing addition for sure um and again, maybe if a trade doesn't come through, because I don't think that, I think that NBA teams still believe that Serge Ibaka can contribute because he hasn't really shown them otherwise. Um, maybe more as a buyout candidate, he's someone that they could look towards. Um, But I think that, yeah, Golden State is kind of just, I think they're stuck. I think they're stuck this, I think they're stuck. This season and as far as Serge Ibaka on the Brooklyn Nets, I don't particularly care for him to be acquired via a trade. I don't think that he's worth anything un- unless it's a second round pick. And as I as I already made the joke in the beginning, if you're looking to trade second round picks for defensive minded players, float it over the Washington Wizards because they already have no clue what the fuck's going on. But I mean, you. Give him a contract. You play him for a few minutes a night, you know, in the second quarter, in the third quarter, you see how it goes. And if he proves to be a reliable defensive option for you, you keep him. Because Brooklyn does not have anybody to back up Nick Claxton right now. That is their biggest issue, is a backup center. So Serge Ibaka could be that guy. I would prefer if Daniel Gafford. We're that guy. A friend of mine texted me the other day and was like, uh, "Jakob Purtle, please, I wouldn't mind Jakob Purtle." Although I don't think San Antonio is parting ways with him, or maybe I don't know. I can't even, I can't even speak to what any team in the NBA is going to do because, like, they're all just so fucking erratic. But the Spurs are a good organization. I think they feel that Purtle has a spot on that team for the foreseeable future. But he's a good player. I wouldn't mind having him, I wouldn't mind having him on a, on the nets, but it's just like, I don't, I don't think the Spurs are, are doing that, but, um, we'll see though. Um, I don't have anything else that I wanted to talk about really. Uh, there hasn't, you know, really not much going on otherwise, um, Oh, yes, holy shit. I can't believe I almost forgot about it. That debacle between the Grizzlies and the Lakers the other night. What a fucking mess. What an absolute shitshow that was. For all of you guys who may not know, the other night, Shannon Sharp, sitting courtside at the Lakers game, hanging out with his man, LeBron, the GOAT, Lake king, um... Lay Shannon's best friend. Um, Lay almost got into a fight with Dylan Brooks because he was talking shit, James. And, you know, Shannon Sharp was chirping, said that Dylan Brooks was too small to guard LeBron, which is facts, act, like literally facts. And Dylan Brooks, because he's a fucking hothead, popped off on Shannon Sharp. And they were going at it. There was a big, you know, there was an escalation. They didn't get physical, but basically the entire Grizzlies team was trying to fight. Shannon Sharp, and even Stephen Adams was trying to fight fight Shannon Sharp. Which, you know, I saw that I was like, wait did 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 Unc did Unk really say something out of pocket to rile up Stephen Adams, like the nicest guy in the NBA, the guy who's all who was like the de-escalator in chief? But they got heated. Um, Shannon was removed from his courtside seat during halftime, but returned in the third quarter. Um, he did make up with T Morant, who is John Morant's father. They had gotten into it a little bit, but there doesn't seem to be any beef there. T was actually very understanding. He's like, you know, he was just talking shit. That's what we do. We talk shit. And uh, yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I don't see anything inherently wrong with what Shannon Sharp said to Dylan Brooks. Um, I do, however, don't think that he should have been allowed to return to the game because if it were any other fan, if it were any other fan who wasn't as notable as Shannon Sharp, I think they would have been removed. Um, I know for a fact if they weren't sitting courtside and they were doing that, they would have been removed. Even if they were sitting courtside, I think they would have been removed. Because you just can't have that, man. Like you can't be you can't be fighting at NBA games. Like it's just not, it's not the move. Like, we know you guys don't actually want to fight. I understand that, you know, Ja and Brooks say that they're with the shits and all that, but it's like you're playing a basketball game. All right, regardless of if you're with the shits or not, what are you going to do? What are you going to do on the court? You can't do anything in the arena, man. So I don't think that Shannon Sharp should have been allowed to return to his seat. He did apologize afterward. He said that his behavior was, you know, he said that he was acting irresponsibly or something. I don't remember the exact context of his apology, but he apologized, which was good because, you know, I think he did overstep a little bit because. I think it escalated because he he contributed to it. Like, and don't get me wrong, I still think that more than anyone else, Dylan Brooks is at fault for this, and the Grizzlies are more at fault than Shannon Sharp because you cannot be so easily rattled, man. You cannot be so easily rattled on the court by some shit talk. You you just can't. You you cannot allow the fools who aren't who are sitting in the seats to get to you and that's like that appears to be something that the Grizzlies really struggle with and I get it they're young play with a lot of emotion they when they're when they're out there they look like they're having fun they're fun to watch but like you gotta learn to be able to reel it in and that might be the one thing the one like tangible it's not even tangible but like their emotional control on the court is going to be ultimately what decides and what dictates how far this team actually goes into the playoffs. And how far they... And how far... And like if they realize these contender aspirations. But it was just a shit, a shit show all around. I don't begrudge Shannon Sharp for talking shit. Because, you know, it was relatively PG. He just called Dylan Brooks too small. And then Dylan Brooks called him a regular pedestrian during the post game. And like tried to fight this dude. Because he called him too small. Like... No disrespect to Dylan Dylan Brooks, but, like, you are too small to guard LeBron. And I don't really feel that you should take that disrespectfully at all because, you know, LeBron's one of the goats. And, you know, LeBron was also chirping at Dylan Brooks. LeBron had a lot to say to the Grizzlies about their shit talk. Apparently, you know— he said one thing in particular is like, they're not hooping. They're just talking shit, which, you know, maybe, I mean, very rarely now, especially as, you know, an older guy, very rarely do you see LeBron like fed up. Like there was, he was swearing on this video. It was something that I can't remember seeing, but again, like, that's just a guy who's grown up. He's matured. He understands how he understands the importance of keeping your emotions in check when you're, on the court and something that Memphis is going to have to learn to deal with. But yeah, I don't think that uncle, that uncle Shay should have been allowed to return to the game. Um, it's just, I think it's just a bad look, even with the apology, but ultimately like nobody got hurt. It was a little extra. It was a little extra show for the fans. So, you know, so be it. But with that, I think I'm gonna close out this episode as always. Thank you guys so much for coming to hang out with me today. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, if you're listening to this on an audio platform, leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe to it, Uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, comment for the algorithm, leave a like on any of those videos, and of course, if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about it, and tell a friend about it even if you didn't enjoy it. Thanks again, and I'll catch y'all in the next one.